0: Good morning and welcome to this week's Market Thinkers discussion. I'm Jamie Nemsis and I'm joined by Drew Meredith, my co-host and business partner. And our guest today is Joseph Lye from Platinum Asset Management. Welcome, Drew. Welcome, Joe. Thanks, Jamie. First, the Market Thinkers series. Every week, Drew and I bring these insights, or we're trying to bring insights from leaders, thinkers, and investment experts, uh, essentially bringing you, the investor, closer to the coalface. It's very much the... That's my phone. Very much, very much the, the cold face that Drew and I and our team see every day. Um, you can see previous versions uh, on our website. We've done seven or eight of these in the, in the, in the past two months. Uh, it's also available on our YouTube channel and available through Apple Podcast. Uh, for the listeners that don't know Drew and I, Drew and I run Waddle Partners. Waddle Partners is a wealth management group that was actually founded back in 1973 by Austin Donnelly. Austin Donnelly was one of the first fee-for-service independent uh, advisors in Australia, and he was really an advocate for investor rights, also founding the Australian Investors Association. Um Drew and I run very much the same firm, uh, independent, fee-for-service or fee-only. We essentially manage portfolios. We have clients from big and small, from family trusts to to individuals. Um, And uh, so today, this session, we're, we're welcoming Joe from Platinum Asset Management. Joe is the portfolio manager of the Platinum Asia Fund, an active Asian equity strategy. Uh, we first started using Platinum Asset Management uh, in 1995 when it was first founded. And we started using the Platinum Asia Fund um, in portfolios from when it was founded in 2003. So we've ha- we've got a long association with Platinum Asset Management. In fact, I don't think there's been a time that our core portfolio hasn't had Platinum in it. So today's title of this session is The Future is East and why, and it's all about why Asia will be the growth driver of our global economy. Anyone that has heard how we build portfolios, especially global portfolios, will know that we've got a natural tilt to to Asia. Today's session will be like every other session. Drew will introduce why Platinum Asia is. In our core portfolio and the role that it plays, and then I'll ask Joe ten quick-fire questions, and then we'll get on to his fund and talk about, um, you know, what's in there and why it's in there, and then we'll have a whole series of questions. Of course, there's a number of people joining us. Uh, this is not just a podcast, but it's also live. So if you have any questions at all for Joe, I'm sure he's more than happy to uh, answer them through the session. So, Drew, do you want to just uh, introduce Platinum Asia and why it's in our model portfolio?
1: Perfect. Thanks, Jamie. Welcome, Joe. Uh, Yeah, as we've kind of discussed in previous sessions, we view global equities in these kind of buckets, one being large caps, one being small caps, and then specific tilts to regions, countries, or or key themes. We've we've found over the long term that the best returns come from identifying the most powerful themes in the world. That can be demographic trends, technological trends, or environmental. Asia, to us, kind of hits on all three at the moment, which I'm sure Joe will go into. But the big one there for us is the, the Asian middle class, which is, according to most reports, the fastest growing consumer market in the world. Um, I know the numbers are huge and a lot of attention get, gets paid to things like luxury goods and wine with treasury uh, at wine <laughs> estates a few weeks ago. Yep. But I think it's even more simple. We're starting to learn that the basic products like bank accounts, insurance, credit cards, changes in diet and other consumption habits are growing at, at rates far faster than any other economy in the world. Um, As Jamie mentioned, we added Asia in March, Uh, it's up about 20% since, and we picked platinum for that exposure for a few key reasons. One is that they understand Asia. Uh, Platinum's, uh, I think, they, they get the nuance, Platinum China's been a big part of the um, Asia, <laughs> China's been a big part of Platinum's funds for, for a while. Uh, two is their track record as, record as Jamie said, they started Asia fund in 2003 before pretty much anyone else. And they've been through multiple crises and navigated through that. And three is diversification in that it looks beyond what the index, you know, the huge holdings in the index, and and looks at more economically exposed businesses. So it gives us better diversification to the actual on the ground economy. I'll pass back to Jamie to to grill Joe. All right, Joe, here we go.
0: Ten quick fire questions. We're after one, two, or three word answers, but if you get involved and go a bit longer, that's okay as well. Okay. So here we go. What's the best stock you've
2: ever bought? Well, recently it's May I mean, we've made money twice this year, What the first time hundred uh, percent, the second time about 400% within one year. So that's, that's great.
0: All right, we might expand on that a bit further, what, uh, later, later in session. What okay. is your biggest investment regret?
2: Well, shorting in the Asian market when the market was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the one red flag for any investment? Well, when the stock is optically cheap and I cannot work out why.
0: there's always a reason isn't there always a reason (laughs) what's the most important ratio you use um just
2: the pe ratio
0: just pe yep okay pineapple on pizza uh yep the margarita so no pineapple no pineapple (laughs) what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received
2: um this is from care we'll respect the intelligence of the market
0: equal one name one belonging from your youth you still wish you had today
2: well, my old Apple II computer, I used to program and play games on. It's great. It's probably <laughs> worth a fortune now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Best investment for Armageddon USD, Bitcoin, government bonds, or gold?
2: Yeah, it depends. If we get a big recession, USD and bond, if there's huge money printing, gold and economic recovery, uh, Bitcoin and commodities, which uh, is what we are seeing now.
0: Okay let's pretend you're retired Joe and you only can hold one stock for your whole retirement. What stock would that be? All your money has to be in this stock. Okay. Uh,
2: HDFC bank in India.
0: Good one. We'll talk about that a bit later too. Okay. Uh, And um, you've got in the next 12 months, you can short one NASDAQ stock or NASDAQ 100 stock. What is it?
2: Well, uh, it's a bit risky, this one, the Tesla. (laughs) Tesla. So yes. many yes. common yes. answer,
0: isn't it? Yes. It has slayed everyone that is said has. that are going to short. So good yes. luck with that, you've Joe. Got to, good you've, luck. Got to
2: be, you've got to be right. The clock, uh, you know, would be right one time. If, you know, broken <laughs> clock is right one time.
0: <laughs> All right, we're on to the questions now, Joe. I might kick off. Tell us a bit about you. You're, you've got a different background than normal portfolio managers that we talk to.
2: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so you know, I run the Asia fund um, and um, and also the Asia research effort at uh, Platinum. Um, I studied and worked as a medical doctor in Sydney, and so I've worked in hospitals. But what I realized then, uh, about 20 years ago, was that I liked looking at businesses rather than bodies. So I switched, (laughs) and joined Morgan Stanley, and then came to Platinum after that. Um, And I've been at Platinum for um, 17 years. So um, initially started as an analyst uh, for Asia, and then basically um, started running the fund about six, seven years ago. it's amazing i mean it's just amazing you know to be able to do this job over the last 17 years seeing the first hand um the economic development of the region um and um and i think it'll continue um, um so yeah I th- uh, yeah that's my background i guess
0: fascinating you work with some amazing people kerr and andrew are, you know some of the best investors that have uh, come out of australia in the last uh, 50 years that must be a real honor
2: yeah it is an honor and it's actually you know i've learned a lot from from those guys um, it's I guess that the key thing is not even the, the, the investment ac- acumen, it's more you know the people. I mean it's actually uh, the, the, the I guess the humbleness uh, despite the success that uh, they've had.
1: Does your, does your role change going from analyst to portfolio manager? Has that been a, a huge change over 17 years or
2: yeah look I mean it's a, it's a long you know, it, you know, it's a long long term process. Um, basically, you know I started building um, a, a proper Asia team. Uh, in Platinum, uh, about since about two thousand and nine, um, and so um, from you know, previously it was just Andrew me and uh, one one other person uh, managing the Asia fund, and since uh, nine onwards, I mean you know we we built a proper team and, and then um, and then managing the portfolio. Uh, the good thing about um, the transition, which makes it easier at Platinum, is that um, even a PM, I mean we are actually analysts as well. Uh, yeah. Our process is very bottom up. In, in other words, we look at you know trying to understand. How businesses work. And um, so that's, you know, that 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 skill set gets, gets transferred easily between, you know, working as an analyst and the PM. And the PM have, have other roles as well, such as managing people, managing exposures, um, have a more top-down view when needed, uh, which helped in the COVID uh, today, uh, this, this year for us. Um, so so it's a it's interesting skill set that, that you need to pick up, but, but the fundamental understanding of the business, which is essential to our process, uh, remains the same.
1: Yeah, so it's a bit so, different to the almost the CIO structure where you stop researching and start assessing ideas. Oh, and no. You're still involved yeah. in both.
2: Yeah, yeah. But the best bit is the researching of the companies. That's the most fun, fun, fun part of the job. And actually teaching uh, younger and, and more and uh, you know more energetic, you know, people how to do it. That's quite fun too.
0: <laughs> Platinum Asia, it's called Platinum Asia. So I assume and it it's ex-Japan, so you don't have any Japanese exposure. And the definition of Asia goes all the way over to India, is that correct?
2: Yes, um, so for our purpose, it is actually, you know, uh, basically uh, the big countries are India, China, Southeast Asia um, and Korea. But we don't include Japan because we actually have another Japan, uh, you know, Platinum Japan fund that's actually yeah. of a uh, you know, uh, longer vintage than us. I and mean, also the market's different. So Asia that we're looking at are basically growth economies um in most cases like um japan is more developed and in fact quite an aging economy um so so it's Very different sort picture, of yeah it? yeah it was di- yeah different style di- different you know different I guess opportunity set
0: so how many stocks in your portfolio joe and how many stocks yeah, yeah. out of the realm how big is the realm
2: yeah the realm is big i mean we tend to focus on the mid cap to the big cap so not, not, not extremely small stocks uh, the fund that my um, manager, you know, now is about around six and a half billion dollars Australian already. So we can't liquidity, you know, that the more stocks. We simply it would not make any difference to 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 what to, to to returns. Um, so if we look at, you know, market cap of a, of a certain size in the region It's literally a few thousand of them, Um, and um, and in in the portfolio uh, we have usually forty to sixty stocks. Uh, A big stock would be five six percent. A small stock would be you know one percent or so.
1: And you can take long and short positions. You can take long and short. Yeah, um, so you know the portfolio has mostly
2: you know. Yeah, we can. Yeah. We, we can, we can, and we haven't done a lot of it recently because the market's been cheap. Yeah. Um, we've taken some short position on the indices in February. So the net investor position for the fund went down to 54%, which is very low, the lowest in history of the fund, I think, uh, because uh, we had an insight that um, the world's going to close down uh, because of COVID. And at that stage, uh, uh, you know, the, the market's uh, participants, generally speaking, uh were quite uh you know quite uh, complacent uh so uh we took the short position and it helped us um to to sort of uh, ride through the, the, the volatility um well
1: and you managed to put risk back on in uh in april as well when you started seeing it turn
2: yeah it's interesting so i was talking to to my mother who's um you know, close, you know in her late 70s um, and before the COVID, she didn't know anything about, you know, these kind of stuff. Although I, I studied medicine, I knew what it was about, but she didn't. But then um, by April, when I talked to her and she's you know, staying at home, you know, keeping herself safe. Um, and she said, well, when are we going to flatten the curve? And I thought, well, even she knows what flattening the curve actually <laughs> me- meant. And I think the market is pricing a lot of the fee in already. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just one anecdote. Um, and then, So we actually put... Um, Put the put put, put uh, basically bought the good companies in the region. Um, that that's been universally sold off by 30 to 40 percent. Uh, we knew that we would make money eventually, um, irrespective of the outcome of um of of the pandemic because it'll go. I mean, the pandemic will actually go eventually. We and, and we were quite prospective because we thought the market is because of the valuation, and we were confident about the vaccine. We, we, we were seeing a lot of um, economic stimulation globally. So. Yeah, so we were surprised actually, you know, how quickly it rebounded, but but, uh, but we were positioned for it, uh, fortunately.
0: Now you're based in Sydney, and it's an Asia fund. Uh, do you travel to Asia very often? Is it important to be on the ground there? And has COVID affected what you do, if you if you do travel a bit?
2: Yeah, so um, you know, normally um, our team would, you know, there would be. Uh, someone on the ground almost um you know uh, people visit the place you know every i guess uh, once every one or two months Mm. i mean i tend to go to china india and and southeast asia once a year and then that uh you know each once a year Um, and that sort of um is quite quite a heavy schedule because when we go it's usually one of you know one of one to two weeks and we prepare a lot before we go um so so we know that the you know what's going on on the ground talking to a lot of people when we go there is very targeted uh, uh and, and also it's just not just me there's other people in the team who go there so literally if you come to the office at any time in the year there would be literally a few people in our, you know in the region um, yeah. in my team or in the global team um so um to, uh, today i mean with COVID, of course the traveling is difficult but it's interesting a member of our team is actually in China right now. Uh, he's quarantined, adopted his quarantine a few weeks ago, um, and he's visiting companies and stuff. Um, it's more difficult. hotels. Yeah, yeah. So we, are, we we actually own a hotel in our portfolio, uh, yeah. and he's living in. He's staying. He's it he stayed in it. There you go. Um, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> So fundamental
1: research here. isn't
0: it yeah fundamental yeah. so you've got uh a number of different regions in asia there's probably what 18 different regions that all yeah. have different economic uh characteristics and growth characteristics and legislation characteristics and then you have all these stocks that some are across the 18 let's say it's 18 regions i don't know how many regions there's or or and some are individual so portfolio construction how does that work? Cause you might have a great stock in India, great stock in Japan, uh, not Japan, in China and one in Taiwan. How does, how, how do you balance all that up and then create this portfolio? Cause what we've learned over the years, it's not just the stocks you hold, it's also what weight you hold in those stocks.
2: Yes. Yes. So the portfolio construction is, uh, you know, bottom up. So basically, um, I guess, from a in, a in a nutshell, what it is is the portfolio consists of you know the best opportunities we can identify in the region in any given point in time. So, if we find lots of interesting opportunities in China, we would have um, uh, from a you know from a bottom up. Uh, perspective, in other words, they're good companies with good growth prospects and evaluation is cheap, would have more of them um, in in the portfolio. And as the share price rise and and the opportunity gets better recognized, uh, we'll try to look for other opportunities from a bottom-up perspective um, in in, in the whole region. Um, So uh, the outcome is that, you know, in terms of geographic um, sort of uh, split in the portfolio, it's actually, in most cases, um, you know, a result of what ideas we can find in the region as opposed to um, you know someone like me or the cio going oh you need to have 50% in this country or whatever it's more well we have 50% in the country because we can find all these ideas in in, in that particular area not not the other way around there's yeah, um, a so dynamic maximums. um no no but i guess you know if you know even say if we like if, if we love india um, there's lots of you know attractively priced businesses uh, that are listed uh, we would not you know for instance you know have like you know 60 70 percent of the portfolio in mm-hmm. one country just for diversification it's a risk management uh, tool to have a bit of a diversification um, in, in, in different countries so it's all it's all rather subjective in, from that perspective but there is uh, an you know an attempt to, to risk manage by geographic diversification and also industry diversification we don't want to own you know, all the e-commerce companies in, 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 Asia, just because even if we like them. Hmm.
1: Are there, are there different processes involved or is there a different research process for an Indian versus a Chinese or a, or a Thai company, or is it just all basic fundamentals?
2: Yeah. So look, I mean, it, it is um, the same investment process. I mean, bottom up, understand, you know, what, um, you know, whether the business can be bigger, the, 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 the three, you know, the three key things, which is consistent, in in you know, in all the positions is that you know um, people invest in Asia because they can see the growth in the region. Um, so we want to have usually we, we look long term, uh, look long term. When you look long term, uh, the picture actually becomes clearer. In the short the short term disruption that may impact the share price, you you can actually ignore it. Like during COVID, at the bottom of it, the long term good companies will grow. So long term number two is be contrarian. Uh, try to stay away from the crowd. You know when. When everyone was um, fearful at the bottom of the market, well, that's in the price. Let, let's look at the business and are they good? And the third is just have actionable insights, you know, trying to um, you know, see whether you say anything about the industry or the company involved that we actually have some specific insights, which uh, the majority of the market don't. And you, you have all three, you can have a very big position in these stocks. Um, because it usually pay off in a mag- magnificent way uh, when 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 it gets recognized. And if we're right, if we're wrong, then you know, all bets are off. Are
1: <laughs> there any countries or companies or sectors you just won't touch in the region that are kind of red flagged? Um, not. Or- re-
2: um, not really, not really. Um, there's a lot, look, I mean, I think there's, you know, sometimes when, when the popular believe that if something is, you know, is, is very troubling or worrisome, um, there's two point, uh, that's actually interesting to find. look anyway. You may not want to invest in it, um, you know, yourselves. Um, the reason why that's the, that's the case is because if it's well known that something is, oh, is is horrible. Well, that's probably in the price. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, for the most of the time, not all the time. And then, and, and, and therefore, um, you know, um, and, and, and the second reason is it's sort of our process to look where people are not looking um, and to avoid where the crowd is. So, so we do look at it. And if there's something interesting uh, after vigorous bottom-up research, uh, we can, you know, put you know, capital to work there.
0: We use a fund called uh, Munro Funds Management by Nick Griffin and Nick was on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about what has happened between China and the US over the last two or three years. And you know, one thing that his fund is doing is kind of betting on this concept that a, a leader set of companies will be established in China versus um, what is established in the US. So obviously, with Ant Financial coming out and Alibaba, there seems to be a real uh, opportunity for China to build a set of service companies like your Apples and your Googles and your your Facebooks. But in terms of China, is that a theme that you see playing out, that the Chinese economy and the Chinese market structure or corporate structure is kind of finding a similar pattern to what the U.S. big tech firms are offering?
2: Um, It's interesting I guess but um, I think particularly in tech that's interesting Um, so for tech we can talk about the big internet platforms which is the likes of I guess the Alibaba's or the Tencent uh, or the JDs of the world which are Chinese you know e-commerce and gaming and social media companies but there's also in tech there's also the semiconductor um, you know equipment makers and the semiconductor manufacturers, which China the Chinese um, well, which you know the country actually needs and wants. Um so they're quite different things. So um in in in, in this geopolitical um, strategic competition between the two countries um, that there is um that there is a desire to um to I guess uh, to to be less reliant on, on the outside and that's particularly so for the semiconductors huh. and I think that the, the main the main reason that is that you know we've seen what happened to Huawei and 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 all these sanctions that's um, applied to some of these Chinese semiconductor companies basically uh, is a serious attempt to put them out of business I mean they they you know when they, when 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 a company is reliant on well, most semiconductor manufacturers would require some components coming from the U.S. And when they say that you know the Chinese company cannot use the U.S. any U.S. parts, uh, and also some can't even deal with U.S. banks, um, it is a very serious threat. So, so that as a result of that. The desire for the Chinese government to actually encourage development of semiconductor industry in, uh, indigenously um, it is very real because they, 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 they don't want to uh, you know be squeezed and then just like if people say well we, we're not going to supply oil to China China would definitely want to find some oil somewhere that they can use so, so that is actually where that is but in terms of the internet platforms um, all these Chinese internet platforms are, are born out of extremely intense competition. It's it's a free market. I mean, it's actually um, in a way more capitalistic than 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 more, some of the developed markets because um, this idea of um, anti you know antitrust, this idea of um, of um, you know IP protection in early years, maybe not so now. It's not exist. But do all sorts of things that compete with each other, and as the result of that, Alibaba came on top. Um, and there's a lot of newcomers trying to get them as well. I mean, that's yeah. quite amazing. Um, Tencent is the same um, group. So that is actually a, a result of market competition, uh, and and, um, and and they're doing great things. And in many cases, um, the application of technology, I you know, in my just looking at them, I mean, it's very you know, it's, it's actually leading the world in some cases. Uh, what we see Facebook is doing is often what you know they've seen what Tencent can achieve on in you know, a social media front. Yeah. Uh, because They've seen the payment; they're copying that.
1: Yeah, it's
0: it's a lot
2: of um, fascinating,
0: down. isn't it? For the last, I'm um, 45. The last 25 years, um, being an investment advisor, you we'll talk about globalization and uh, the opportunities some of these large companies provide in in that globalization. And it's nearly the the next set of um, themes seems to be you know de-globalisation, not sure if that's a real word, but, you know, where where people were saying, no, no, we need some of these essential services internally. It seems like the Australians, as Australians, we have to drink a lot more red wine now.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm hoping it'll be
1: cheaper.
0: (laughs) Let's hope. hope. I had kind of
1: a, a segue on that with what's going on Politics between Australia and China, Australians have generally relied on investing into ASX companies that are exporting to China to get Asian exposure. Does that kind of increase the importance of investing direct
2: into China and Asia now? I, yeah, look, I mean, um, I, I think, generally speaking, that's a correct statement. Um, I don't know whether it's because of, um, you know, the spat that uh, Australia has, the government has with the Chinese government. Um, clearly, I mean, in the short term, that is a problem. Um, I, but I, i'm actually quite optimistic in the long term um pe- you know countries will, will learn to live with each other uh, but but the more longer term issue for um i guess the stocks in australia is that um really banks and commodities those are the main part of the index um and um, and, and and the fact is i mean china has gone past the peak of demand for commodities i think in my opinion and also with um the attempt to decarbonize um you you, you know the, demand on the profile of what they demand and, and where the demand is gonna grow going forward will be different. You know, when I started um, in 2004 at Platinum uh, looking at China, I mean, demand for iron ore, demand for all, all sorts of commodities was growing like 20%, something like 10, 10 20% a year. Every year, The yeah. number of properties built in China went from a few million units a year to now about 11 million units every year. But is that gonna go to 20 million units? Very unlikely. I mean, car sales went from a few million to now 26 million, um, much bigger than the US car market, passenger car market. Um, So um, there's some peaking demand for these things. Um, So, but then at the same time, the next growth driver for China is more domestic consumption um, uh, and technologies. Uh, so they will uh, keep doing that. Um, so I, I actually believe that, you know, if we've got good products, you know, um, that, that the people there in there want and, in, and assuming the Chinese economy continues to grow, especially in consumption, um, it will be wanted. I mean, I think, um, but as long as the short-term problem goes away. Um, so I'm not, so I guess be specific and maybe not so much into the old world uh, commodity sort of thing, but certainly the new world. Um, I mean, it used to be the A2 Milk was doing really well in China until, until there's a change of the channels and structure in, in Australia, right? So yeah. the, the good stuff I always wanted. I mean, it's like, you know, if someone can, can produce a good, uh, like Tesla, I mean, they're, yeah. they're selling Tesla like there's no tomorrow in China. Um, so. Um, although I was, I was telling you I want to shot Tesla,
1: right? but I mean, they do well in China. It's
0: on valuation concerns, yeah. not on yeah. growth. Yes, yes.
2: And what about India?
0: Yeah. India is something that, you know, Drew and I have always thought yeah. that if you're going to play India, you would play it through the private markets, not the public markets. But, you know, India is, mm. doesn't get a lot of press, doesn't get a lot of conversation in, in mm. the investment world in Australia. But um, can you just tell us what's going on in terms of the themes playing out in India and what you really like, what you see
2: in India? yeah look i mean india is a very interesting country i mean the uh, the, uh, the income level is uh one-fourth or one-fifth of that of china i mean in in in, in on average uh, so uh, the, 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 and the economic growth therefore is faster because the base is so much lower um they're doing a lot of things i mean if we look at um, you know the, the world bank's ranking of the ease of doing business i mean they rank all these countries on, on, on how easy is it to do business i mean i don't know you know some view, some some listeners or viewers may, may know that it's notoriously difficult in, you know in, in historically to to start a business to borrow money in india just lots of red tape red tape equals to you know self-enrichment in some cases obviously um but uh, which is not good um so but now uh, the ranking has jumped from i think from 130 To about 63rd or something like that in the last four years and that's after so that's the result of the reforms that the current government has done over the last four years or so so that's getting better Um, i I think um, the key there is to actually find the good companies that actually has a long runway for growth um, and also the valuation Um, and and and, and that's the issue with i guess um, that's where esg may be important because um, there's a bit of differentiation in terms of governance when it comes to these kind uh, in some of these emerging markets and and different companies have different level how good they are in, in, in governance the better companies tend to do better so if you can actually buy a good company with long growth one way well managed good governance uh, at a good price at an attractive price i think it's highly prospective and that's why i put um you know hdfc bank which is a good private bank in india as one of the you know best companies to own uh, in, yep. in the long run
1: is that wealth management, insurance, normal banking?
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know a mix of all these things, but mainly it is just normal conventional banking. Um, India, um, you know, has been traditionally dominated by these old state, you know, uh, state banks, and mm-hmm. they don't provide good service. You know, it's just horrible, and then there's a lot of bad debt all the time. Um, and but then there's a group of private banks which has. Growing up, and basically, the private banks are taking 100% of the incremental new loans. Uh, the state banks are undercapitalized; they're not not growing much at all as a group. Some are, but as a group, they're not. So, so in in 10 years' time, you have I think you'll have you know three, maybe four or five of the private banks becoming. Uh, at the moment, they're like 30% of the market. They'll get to like 70, 80% of the markets. You'll be reasonably oligopolistic. Uh, they're well run. Uh, they're very careful about the books. Uh, these private banks are early. So they go to they go to the private enterprises and go look, I mean, do you want to pay your your, your employees into our bank accounts? So that's pretty very sticky money, very sticky, cheap money. Mm-hmm. Um, cheap cost of funding and they can lend, lend it out carefully only to the best customers. Um so these banks are growing at you know 20% a year. Uh, and, and, and and you know, and, and HDFC is the best one. Um, they're growing to all sorts of other, you know, wealth management and, and, and other businesses as well. So that's only starting, but they'll get bigger. In in five ten years time, is there
0: a, sli- that, a slight different? Sorry, go Drew. I'm going to change it.
2: No. To the <laughs> <point>. <laughs> yeah, I
1: was kind of as well. I was kind of sticking with the consumption theme and and what are the like the three fastest growing consumer sectors you see over the next decade is it is it domestic travel? Is it is it banking and finance? Uh, is it alcohol and and protein as everyone talks about?
2: Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's 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 it's. Uh, it is interesting. I mean, they're all going to grow. I mean, which one is going to grow the fastest is difficult. I mean, the, the thing about looking at Asia is there's, there's actually no shortage of growth, um, um, sort of um, growth themes. Uh, most themes are growing. Uh, you know, even uh, uh, you know, even something as boring as beer in, mm-hmm. in, in, in places, you in know, this places they're growing. I mean, they're growing single digits. Yeah. Um, uh, decent growth, growth in, in, in this in, in this market would be you know in this Asia would be um 20 you know 20% or so um but you know ultimately it's uh, some some things I mean I can say you know what what things are un- under penetrated you know what things um because it is in a nascent phase of the development It can grow very quick I think you know financial services in um in India as we mentioned um that's that that's that's early um not, not everyone has a bank account yet um so mm-hmm. they can they, they can do better there um and um and in, in in the more you know exciting stuff like um you know grocery uh retailing uh, sorry online grocery delivery in china that's growing like literally 200 i mean it's a year uh, from very low base very competitive though um and there's uh, specific themes like domestic brands in all these countries um because one thing that um people may not appreciate is that um you know when you go to asia now i mean at least going to The more developed in the cities, I mean, they are like any other city in the world. I mean, they're not uh, the, the, the Asia of 30, 30 years. Um, so, so, so there's a. If you look at the Gen Zs in, in these countries, um, they have not gone through tough times. In fact, they only grown, grew, grew up um, in in, the, in 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 years of of prosperity. So as a result, um, they actually like um, don't mind um owning. I'm owning some of the local brands wearing some of the local brands as opposed to just always buying um, foreign brands um, as long as the quality is good so you know um, domestic brands uh, financial services um, online online grocery um, some of the technology companies um, and financial you know digital payment i mean still growing rapidly online lending fintech Um, it's not that different now i mean the growth areas there compared to the rest of the world um depends on the country some countries you know a bit behind than others
1: Better we... faster growing than Australia at 2% for, for most of our sectors, so sorry, Jamie.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, so, uh, sorry, so, so the point I guess to make there is actually, I guess a lot of the work is, for, for us, is, is uh, apart from knowing what is going to grow, uh, or which, which industry is going to grow, is really to assess uh, which company can actually deliver the growth in the mm-hmm. long run what valuation we're paying for that growth um because lots of companies we claim that they can grow 30 percent a year and you look at the consensus numbers like the brokers estimate yep it's doing that and it's on 25 times yet it's reasonable uh, but because of the competition uh, and a different level of management ability in different companies uh some can are more likely to deliver that and the second thing is just the price valuation. you know if it's uh if it's uh, expensive, we tend to walk away. If we own the company already and it's expensive, we tend to reduce the exposure and look for the newer opportunities.
0: So let's talk about that. Uh, you said you, you, your favorite ratio is PE ratio. So yes. on and it, to me, it feels like your fund out of the platinum stable, which has always been a really deep value um, group or, or value group is more growth orientated. So, what, what's the average PE of your portfolio?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is around twenty-five times. I mean, I've okay. got to check this. I think it's around there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And obviously, uh, because you were in growth companies, if you look at PE forward, it would it would drop substantially. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. So if you're it about- is. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, we want to. Drew and I was were at a, a conference three years ago. Um, and we heard this uh, fabulous guy speak from a, a really small um, bank called Ant Financial and he was the <laughs> CEO and uh, we, we were blown away by the the phenomenal growth. This is, was it three years ago or four years ago? I think it was three. five years
1: ago, Jamie Spadua. And he was just talking about you had more hair, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Had less gray hair.
0: <laughs> yeah, anyway, it was a few years ago. And and you know, he, he stood up and there was only about thirty-five of us, forty of us in a room, and he talked about this phenomenal bank that he created under alibaba and how many accounts he has and how he was using you know big data and ai to assess loans and you know talked about the old loan process of filling in a form and basically most people lie on the form and then sending it to an old credit assessor and you know we we were amazed by that company um come Fast forward four, three, four, five years, whatever it might be, an Ant Financial owned by Alibaba, or I think Alibaba owns 30% of it, yeah. is about to be listed at some point in the next 12 months. Is is that something, obviously you own Alibaba, is Ant Financial something that you would think about including in your portfolio, Joe?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, um, so I think, and it's run, running into some regulatory problem, but certainly they, they will get listed at some point in the future. But it is a fantastic company. I mean, we also actually went up to um, Hongzhou, uh, which is the you know, east coast of China to, to visit that company, um, I think uh, recent, the most recent time was last year, sometime. Um, it's, the business hasn't changed. I mean, it's just growing bigger. I mean, I guess from when you guys met uh, the CEO uh yeah absolutely interesting company um we did not like the valuation because as i mentioned uh we want to be a bit more contrarian in, in the way we apply the capital um uh, and financial is interesting because i mean their, their marketing is the marketing of the, of the of the ipo uh when it was going on the market was was, was first rate and then everyone seemed to everyone liked it and, and it's a great company but they raised the ipo price a few times so, so at the end we just thought well um, it was going to be two hundred billion market cap u s. Uh, and at the end when it came to the market, it was about three hundred and thirty billion at mm-hmm. the end of the marketing process. Wow. So it's pretty really good, amazing stuff. Um, and um, we like it, uh, but I guess that that really highlights a few things, which I' touched to know, touch on what we talked about before, which is um these markets are huge. I mean, um, you know, just China, India, China and India alone, the population is close to uh, three billion people. I mean, it's not quite half the world, but it's almost there. Just two countries, mm. uh, the GDP is going to be huge if they just keep growing for a few years. It'll be the sum. I mean, even China. I mean, you know, these countries alone, uh, you know, bigger in a few years' time would probably be similar to US and Europe combined in terms of GDP. Um, and um, um, that's happening um, in. Um, in, in these places and, and uh, some of the stuff, you know, as you said, you know, Jamie and, and Drew that, you know, that they they're doing, you know, and financial, for instance, amazing, uh, innovative, using basically using the payment system like PayPal, mm. although they're charging nothing, they're charging 20 basis points when people use the thing. PayPal, you know, costs quite a bit, as I'm sure some of us have used it and they charge you a big commission um, and to be, they, they build this financial services platform, lending, insurance and, and what have you on top of the payment system because they've got the data, they've got the customer. They, yeah, quite amazing. So, so it's just innovation. It's the competition that's driving that. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that. And and these things, as I mentioned, before, I mean, it is actually leading the world in, in, in application of this kind of stuff. There's a lot of big data, big AI, you know, artificial, artificial intelligence, which they're using uh, to, to build the business uh, up. Um, a similar business, which is, uh, it, it explains the, the level of competition and innovation. Maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the online grocery delivery as well also oh, online um, the, the e-commerce business because in, in in the developed countries we're used to a- Amazon you know taking over the whole e-com- I guess the majority of e-commerce market uh, in fact you know getting rid of the brick and you know out the brick-and-mortar stores in, in most instances so that has played out in China so as a result now if you go to China um, the, the online the, 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 you know the stuff you see online the same products you see online uh, would have the same price as uh, as offline so you can go to a shop buy the same i don't know um uh, 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 umbrella or something the, the price of that would be this very similar to the price of the e-commerce price um so so and then that's through years many years of you know the rents in the physical property adjusting it's, um, it's, it's a rent is it's a retail shop uh, stores uh, a controlling cost so that the cost structure can can equalize but now the interesting thing is the delivery system you know the, the last mile delivery, express delivery system in China is so cost competitive that um, these offline, these offline stores are actually, you know, getting more competitive against online. Yeah. Because the, pre- the pre- previous problem was online, it's always cheaper than offline, let's get it online, right? But now because the price is the same and the last mile delivery is so quick. So that's, it's actually now what happens there is that it's not uncommon for people to travel domestically in China to go from Shanghai to Beijing, for instance, and they don't bring anything in some cases. They would call up this, you know, this e-commerce company and go, look, I need some toothbrush. I need some uh, hairspray. I need some uh, shaving cream or whatever. And and the, the local delivery network would actually buy it from local stores and deliver the product to your hotel room within 40 minutes. Because the, the because of the density of the Chinese cities and <laughs> because of the intelligence, um, the cost of delivery, like for example, for food delivery like Uber in, in China, they've got this Meituan which we, we made a lot of money on. Um, it's less than a dollar us to deliver per meal because of the just the density and just the big data they're using to organize the routes and stuff so it's just always there's always new challenges in china there's always competitive um it's just uh, very innovative what they're doing
0: okay stocks true do you want to do you want to kick that off
1: i've got a favorite in here which you kind of wrote up in your latest quarterly which is li ning kind of a a fast-growing competitor to the likes of nike i'm a for, I'm a Miami Heat fan, as I said in the in the oh, notes yeah. before this. <laughs> yes. So two of their biggest players have been support, early supporters of Leaning Sports yep. Apparel Company. Can you give us kind of background on on what they do, how they're growing? Yeah, uh, they've been around for a long time, but really coming into
2: their own now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a classic um, sort of great stock picking by the analysts in the team. Um, so, um, and, and, you know, um, so what we so leaning is basically, we think it's like the Nike or editors of China. As we mentioned before, um, the young youngsters, the Gen- generation sets in China, they've grow, grown up, up, you know, up seeing good times in China. They, 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 so as a result, um, they don't necessarily always want to buy the Nike or the editors because previously, you know, to, to, you know, people, you know, prefer the, you know, the, the likes because they, they, in a way a little bit not as proud, I guess, about the local brands, yeah. uh, but yeah. the young people are actually more proud because they've actually seen the good times. So yeah. Li Ning actually is, is an ex, as a, he's a person. He's still alive, right? Living, I think, in Hong Kong. Um, and um, he was the ex-gymnastic uh, champion, Olympic champion from China in the 1980s. So as you can appreciate, um, in, you know, 10 years ago, um it's a bit staid i mean it's not its, it's not uh, the, you know it's not that fashionable to wear someone who is you know a bit old <laughs> uh, you know, the, okay. the, the, the brand is named after this you know, sort of older guy right um, but the interesting thing is when we you know walk around in china we saw some of these young people wearing these leaning hoodies um, and we are, and, I, and we asked them. So it's very nice. And we looked in the shop. I mean, this thing, just the leaning, is just a, sort of like you know, just the word leaning on in front of them. Um, you know, cost about two hundred dollars US, sorry Australian. And I thought, wow. I mean, that really tells you something is changing. Yeah. the locals uh, at least a portion of the proportion of the local youngsters are, are picking it up and we did a lot of work into it uh, to realize that the, i mean this brand is actually will become well, most likely is becoming an authentic um, local chinese brand Uh, The brand is getting revived. If we remember in the old days, there's a period of time that um, a brand like Editors was like going nowhere, was getting, you know, was was losing popularity. But years ago, we sort of started to revive because of some clever products, some clever marketing. And this is what we think Leaning is doing. It's great that we picked this stock. It's gone up like 50, 60% in three months. Um, So, but we still have, uh, we've trimmed back a bit, to be honest, because it's gone up quite a lot. Um, But but we still own the stock, we like it
0: what about uh, taiwan semiconductor is that is that similar to nvidia um, yeah or
2: yeah. what do they do yeah look i mean i mean I, I guess you know this is basically we you know it is literally the best um, semi advanced semiconductor manufacturer in the world um, so um, what they do is they they actually is an outsource manufacturer for semiconductors so in your know, apple iphone and, and, and even nvidia chips um, and, um, and, and what have you, a lot of the more advanced semiconductors, which goes into the smartphones and iPads and what have you, are manufactured by Taiwan Semiconductor. Um, because the reason why, they're and because they're world leading, and recently yep. Intel, which most people think is just a you know, world leader in, in chip manufacturing, even they has to outsource to Taiwan Semiconductor because they have not invested in manufacturing uh, technology as much as Taiwan Semiconductor. And so why has these guys been a good? I mean, every year, Taiwan Semiconductor invest in R&D and um, equipment uh, worth about 20 billion US dollars. So as a result, they're world leading. And I guess um, the the thing is they're almost a monopoly in the world in producing these things. The only competitor really is Samsung Electronics, which we we also own. So I guess this illustrates the point that actually um, some of these companies in Asia are actually well leaders. I mean, as opposed to, I guess, the idea that a lot of them are just you know factories are making clothes. I mean, actually, there's a lot of these um, things happening, uh, which is which is amazing. I mean, it's amazing to watch. Yeah. What's what sort of PE does TSMC or Taiwan trade on? Um, yeah. Look, I mean, when we bought it, it was in um, you know mid to low teens. Um, it's rallied a bit. Um, actually, it's, uh, we bought it at a, well, we added to it at the bottom of COVID at two hundred and sixty. Now it's gone to four hundred and ninety. Um, P/E ratio is about twenty-three. I mean, it's a fantastic company with a lot of cash on the balance sheet, and despite that, it's making um, you know like a twenty-five percent ROE yeah. um, because of the monopoly position that they can charge. They can charge these prices.
1: And do you, when you assess that, you said twenty billion in R and D. That would get expense, so it would increase their PE. Do you account for that as well, or? Yeah, look, I mean that gets
2: expense. I mean, so so that's part of the PE. That's why PE is quite interesting, because PE, you know, the, the earnings would capture, you know, your depreciation, your your amortization, and and also interest costs. So so when when we, you know, earnings, if it's properly um, rep- represented, actually, you know, captures all these things. So so that's quite quite good, good good, good metrics to use.
1: My next one was on to that uh, luxury hotel, is a Zhu, Or my pronunciation is
2: probably not great, it's pretty but good. Uh... it would be better than mine. <laughs> it? It's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's you're very good uh, in <laughs> 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 Yeah, look, I mean, it, it is. Um, we think so. It, so what, you know, when we go to China now, we 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 almost are forced us to 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 stay to stay in this um, hotel. Uh, it's uh, it's just well run. Uh, it's What what happens is, I mean, they've got uh, set up, uh, I guess, the industry, the hotel industry in China is still very fragmented. Um, a lot of mom and pop operators, not the most professional, uh, and as a result, the cost of uh, running it is high. Baju is very good in setting up a process um, to actually enable the mom and pops to actually more or less outsource the management to these guys. and. Uh, and- and they, you know, pay a fee, you know, share a bit of a revenue um, uh, or, or gross profit with uh, with Waju. So Huachu by itself, uh, for the most part, is a very capital-like business because what they do is they sign up these hotels, give them a good way to manage the hotel, give them the IT system, which is very important. These guys have invested in it. Uh, maybe sometimes even provide someone to manage the hotel for these people. Um, their franchisees provide the hotel, the physical hotel. And and, and, um, and and basically give up a, a bit of the revenue to, to this company. So it's an asset light, ha, fast growth company um, that's consolidating um, the fragmented, you know, mom and pop hotel cottage industry in China. It's growing rapidly uh, during the down market It actually sign up even more customers because people are having tough time, you know, during COVID. Um, so they actually sign them up and, and, and they're growing even faster. When we visit some of the five-star hotels in the region, uh, as an investor, um, a lot of them actually tell us that they want, that they actually talk to Hua Zhu to try to learn from them how to manage the IT system in the hotels. And this is like literally like first rate five star hotels. They talk to this little, no, it's not little, but talk to this new company to learn from them how, how to operate their, 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 their hotels, which has been existing for like 50 years.
1: Numbers around the so that'd be benefiting from business travel and kind of leisure travel in China. What are the numbers like in terms of people? Yeah, yeah.
2: It's it's interesting. So um, in terms of domestic tourism, um, it's pretty much back to normal. I mean, it's um, a lot of people, I guess, I don't know know whether people believe the numbers, but actually I do. I mean, if I look at the numbers from all these companies, it does suggest that. Um, Domestic travel... um, is back to normal international is still probably 90% uh, lo- lower uh, below below normal is because of all the you know all the quarantines and lockdowns and what have you. Um the wow. you know the, the process of um, of um, you know detecting the virus is very stringent and, and 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 that's the reason you know one of the reasons why we were a bit more positive than I guess the most the bulk of the market is the work we've done looking at what the regulators there were doing during the peak of COVID. Um, basically, when someone is diagnosed there, uh, you know, the, the 20 other people surrounding that person basically gets isolated. I mean, that's what these countries can do. <laughs> and then, and, 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 you know, so one 20 people isolated per one person infected. Um, so there's literally hundreds of thousands of people isolated at one stage. And they publish these numbers every day. People can choose to believe it or not, but just our fundamental bottom-up work, you know, calling, you know, talk, talking to people on the ground and just seeing how draconian it was, um, it gave us confidence that, well, you know, they'll, they'll manage it, just like, you know, we're doing very well here now, you know, in terms of managing, not even doing something as draconian, so that's great. Um, so, so, so travel can come back as long as um, people feel confident. If there's an outbreak, yeah, they, they, they have a local lockdown again. Um, so um, so domestic travel is back to normal. Um, tourism uh, tourism um, spend, however, is still 20% below normal. I guess there's still a lot of, a bit, a bit of reluctance, as you can imagine, but um, for the most part, it's back to normal.
1: So, Joe, heard, tell us... Um,
2: oh, sorry. Yeah. Go, 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 Joe. Go <laughs>
1: well, I've heard Ping An described as a... Uh, it's an insurance company, but described as a tech company. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I can talk about that. I mean, it's... Um, Hang on, we, we've owned that position for a long time, on and off. When it gets expensive, we sell it. When it gets cheaper, we tend to add to it. It's an interesting company. It's a company which has managed to grow more, more or less, uninterrupted for literally 15 years at 20% rate. Um, and then sometimes we get it expensive; it's on 20 something times. We get cheap; it gets up to eight times. Um, so it's a life insurance company, uh, and also a lot of fintechs attached to it. Um, and, and I guess it brings, it relates to some, you know, how some of these private companies in China, they're very innovative. They love their cash flow into R&D, into uh, uh, investment in technologies, um, you know, literally billions. I mean, this company invest billions every year in, 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 in AI, voice recognition, when you call them, um, they can basically verify your voice and say, you know, you are who you are. And, and, uh, and for the um, car insurance, uh, which is part of the business, um, when someone has an accident, for example, uh, their customer has an accident in China, they literally take a picture using their phone or maybe a number of pictures um, and, um, and send it to the headquarter, uh, to the Ping Pingan, and, and the AI actually can detect you know, what's broken, how much is it cost, does it cost to repair, high-level accuracy. And they actually would have someone to, to come and actually look at your car because um, they actually have AI to work out where accidents are likely to happen. So, I mean, it's it's it is pretty amazing stuff. And so that, compare that, to a boring state company, which they're still exists in China, it's hard to compete against that when, when there's like real entrepreneurial zeal and um and um, you know creative destruction uh to the old states. State. they So so we tend to focus a lot more on the private companies rather than the state wellness, a few state ones, but not a lot. Um, you know, so it, it's interesting.
1: It's like this um it took us a pandemic to start using QR codes in Australia, but I think they've been used in China for like 10, 15, 20 years, haven't
0: yes. they? Yeah. Yeah,
2: it is amazing, especially yeah, especially the last five years with the payments. I mean, they scan the QR code for payments and and it's just 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 taken off. I mean, um, it's, it's remarkable. Um, I mean, people, you know, when when I was travelling through China, I think this is a few years back. With one of my guys, and he's an English guy actually, and he's in my team. Sorry, he's a Australian guy, but he was winning. I mean, he, better, he uh, he, uh, uh but he you know we we tried to buy some he tried to buy something in in the in the high speed rail station i <laughs> um, he would have, he, so like we you know we the company gave us some 100, 100 rmb notes try to pay for it and 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 the lady at <laughs> uh, the counter didn't know what to do with it he, you know so the he opened the counter, like you know the, the cashier opened there's nothing there's no change yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she goes how do i how, how do i use this and and so the, the lady behind us the lady behind uh, behind him, because I I wasn't with him at the stage. I, I you know when he was checking out, I actually you know, grabbed him and oh, uh, I, I can help you here. But the lady behind him actually paid for the thing for him, and I, we felt so oh, really? bad. So yeah, so we <laughs> thought oh, actually please take a 100 RMB, but she wouldn't have it. So so thank you, thank you. You know, would you like some of this then? Some of the chips that we bought. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Joe, last stock, tell us tell us a stock we don't know. Tell us something that um, we we'll all know in 10 years about an up and coming stock that you're looking at or watching or okay.
2: interesting. Okay. But there's a few of those and I'm trying to pick, um, I guess what industry we want to focus on, but um, you know, we can uh, talk about Kingsoft. I mean, Kingsoft, uh, actually no, let's talk about an Indian stock called Interglobe Aviation. So we bought this stock um, when at the bottom of COVID Um, You know, it's an airline. It's an airline operator in China, in in India. Uh, It's the best, basically it's the best airline um, in India. It's a low cost operator. Low cost operators are great, I think, um, in in, in, in most markets actually. Um, What it is is, I mean, before COVID, it had about 40% market share in India. And this includes the commercial airlines, includes Air India. So it's not just low cost market share, this is entire Indian market share. Yep. Um, during COVID, it, the market share, you know, clearly volumes fallen, but its, it's market share is growing to 60%. Okay. Um, um, so, so that's that's interesting, um, and um, and and so um, uh, and and so uh, it's got a solid balance sheet. It can actually last for a long time, and um, yeah, you know, you know, even if you know times were not good, it can last. It can grow. Uh, it can grow um, for a very long time. And Indian, you know, market has been. Um, you know, it has, it's very nascent. Um, it can grow at twenty percent a year for a long, long, long time. So, so we think in due course, uh, you know, you, you, you know, when when the recovery comes uh, in India, which it's is steadily improving, um, with opening up, um, they actually this stuff is very well placed.
0: It makes perfect sense. So yes. first, um, Joe, on behalf of Waddle Partners, we want to say thank you. Uh, you're running a phenomenal fund, uh, nearly five billion dollars um it's been your know, average return over what is it nearly 17 years of close to 15 percent um uh, enjoyed the last hour uh, thanks for managing our clients money and thanks for appearing on on this show with drew and i really appreciate it
2: thanks uh, thanks jamie thanks drew and thanks everyone for um uh, watching it's been a lot of fun so i appreciate uh, you giving us the opportunity as well
0: Hopefully we'll have you back. In the new year, we're doing a set of uh, thematics. So we'll pick a theme and we'll go deep in that. So,
2: Okay, no problem. Cheers.
0: All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Drew, for the audience. Uh, We're having next week off, the week after we're doing Outlook for 2021. So please join us on a Wednesday at 10.30. Again, thanks, Drew. Thanks, Joe.
2: Cheers. Bye.